Welcome to the LCGC podcast, Emerging Disinfection Byproducts in Drinking Water. This podcast is brought to you by Thermo Fisher Scientific. Thermo Fisher Scientific is a world leader in serving science with revenues of $17 billion and approximately 50,000 employees in 50 countries. Their mission is to enable their customers to make the world healthier, cleaner, and safer. They help their customers accelerate life science research, solve complex analytical challenges, improve patient diagnostics, and increase laboratory productivity. Through their premier brands, Thermoscientific, Applied Biosystems, Invitrogen, Fisher Scientific, and Unity Lab Services, they offer an unmatched combination of innovative technologies, purchasing convenience, and comprehensive support. To find out more, please visit them on the web at www.thermoscientific.com. And now, here's your host for this podcast, Kerry Hollenberg. Hello, everyone. This is Carrie Hollenberg with LCGC, and I'm here with Susan Richardson, Arthur C.S. Williams Professor of Chemistry at the University of South Carolina. Susan Richardson's research focuses mostly on identifying new disinfection byproducts in drinking water, also referred to as DBPs, determining formation mechanisms, and integrating toxicological characterization with chemical characterization approaches. The overall goal of this research is to solve human health issues surrounding drinking water DBPs. She is also expanding her work to study and protect ecological health. Thank you for being here today, Susan. Uh, You're welcome. To get started, tell us about your research involving disinfection byproducts or DBPs in drinking water. So we've been using mass spectrometry to try to uncover the DBPs that are responsible for the human health effects that we've seen in human epidemiologic studies. These are things like bladder cancer, miscarriage, and birth defects that we would like to get rid of. And to that end, we've been working closely with toxicologists, epidemiologists, water treatment engineers, and regulators to try to solve this important human health issue. And by the way, DBPs can also form in swimming pools as well as drinking water, so we've been looking into both. Thank you. And uh, for listeners unfamiliar with the topic, where do DBPs come from and how are they formed? And are they persistent in water? Sure. Um, DBPs, and those are the disinfection byproducts you mentioned before, um, they're an unintended consequence of using disinfectants to try to kill harmful pathogens in water to make the water safe to drink. And they're formed when these disinfectants react with natural organic matter, also bromide and iodide salts that are naturally occurring and other contaminants in source waters. Natural organic matter, we think, is the primary precursor to the formation of DBPs and natural organic matter is present mostly from the decay of leaves and other plant matter, leaves that fall into the water and degrade and form this natural organic matter. Um, So DBPs are not traditional contaminants that are already present in the water. They're actually formed in drinking water treatment. And many DBPs do persist in drinking water. In fact, most will continue to form in the distribution system. This is the pipes after the water leaves the treatment plant and goes to your home in the pipes, um, the levels can actually increase in formation so that the water that comes to your home tap may have higher levels of particular DBPs than what was sent out from the water treatment plant. Um, But a few DBPs are less stable, 
and some may decrease from the plant to your tap, but most DVPs are stable enough to provide PPB levels, part per billion levels in your tap water. So these contaminants are typically present at much higher levels than other contaminants, such as things like pharmaceuticals or pesticides. In fact, things like pharmaceuticals and pesticides may or may not be present in your drinking water, but DBPs are always um, in the water if it's treated with a different with a disinfectant. Hmm, really interesting. Do you work with regulated DBPs, unregulated DBPs, or both? I actually work with both regulated and unregulated DVPs, but primarily on the unregulated DVPs. Most toxicologists believe that the regulated DVPs are actually not the ones causing the human health effects, and this is because the primary type of cancer that we see in the epidemiologic studies is bladder cancer, but none of the regulated DVPs cause bladder cancer in animals, so most of us think that the regulations are actually missing the important DVPs in our water. And so this is why we're focusing on the unknown DVPs in drinking water, the unregulated ones, trying to comprehensively identify them and determine which ones are causing the human health effects so that we can ultimately eliminate them from drinking water. My goal is to make drinking water safer. Hmm. Yes, and what are government regulatory bodies doing to protect humans from DVP exposure? Well, the U.S. EPA currently regulates 11 DVPs in drinking water, and other countries around the world regulate a few DVPs as well. So levels of these particular ones are being controlled, but almost 700 DVPs have now been identified as compared to the 11 that are currently regulated, and none of those 700, other 700, are currently being controlled. One of the rubs in this is that um, drinking water treatment plants often will lower the regulated DBPs by changing their treatment method, and that actually can increase the formation of some of these more toxic, unregulated DBPs. So, for example, plants that switch from chlorine to chloramines, we call it chloramination for disinfection, they can dramatically lower the levels of the regulated trihalomethanes and halocytic acids that contain chlorine and bromine in their structures, but the more toxic iodinated trihalomethanes and acetic acids are actually inversely related, and they increase in formation with the use of chloramines. And, and what type of DBPs are you focusing on specifically, and why? For much of our work, we've been focusing on the iodinated DBPs because of their enhanced toxicity. And in fact, iodoacetic acid, which we first identified from a nationwide occurrence study back in 2004, is the most genotoxic of all DBPs studied to date. Um, we're also focusing on nitrogen-containing DBPs because they have increased toxicity relative to DBPs without nitrogen. And we also continue to identify DBPs that were not previously known. In addition, we're investigating other sources of iodine in the formation of these iodo-DBPs, and that's other forms of iodine beside iodide salt, which is um, naturally present in a lot of our source waters from saltwater intrusion into our cities located around the coast. 
We recently discovered that compounds used in medical imaging, these compounds are called X-ray contrast media, they can also be a source of iodine in the formation of iodinated DVPs. And these X-ray contrast media can be present at high PPB levels, parts per billion levels, in our source waters. They're among the highest levels of any pharmaceutical found in rivers and other environmental waters. Thanks. And can you tell us, what are the major analytical challenges, including sample preparation and analysis and analyzing for low levels of DBPs? We have analytical challenges both in the qualitative identification of low levels of DVPs and also in quantifying important target DVPs. Um, For example, it can be a challenge to get enough concentration factor to be able to see the low levels of DVPs. And because of this, we often use XAD resins for extraction where we can extract several liters of water on our large homemade SPE columns, solid phase extraction columns. And it's also challenging to identify an unknown DVP if it's present at trace levels. To get good high-resolution data to aid in the identification, some sensitivity is usually sacrificed, and you can miss some of these trace-level DVPs when you do this. There are also many challenges regarding quantifying priority unregulated DVPs, which is a big focus of our work. I have two graduate students, Amy Cutherson and Hannah Libator, and also a postdoc, Susanna Kimura, and an undergraduate student, Alina Bensusan, who've been working very hard to develop analytical methods to quantify approximately 70 high-priority unregulated DBPs. It turns out that you can't apply a single extraction or mass spectrometry method for all of these. Some DBPs are degraded by certain quenching agents like sulfite, and other DBPs are degraded by other quenching agents like ascorbic acid. And the reason we use these quenching agents is that we want to try to freeze our sample in time so that when we take that drinking water sample, the DBPs that we measure later in the lab are the same levels present when we took the sample. And also, some DBPs are more volatile than others, such that different liquid-liquid extraction or different solid phase extraction procedures have to be used to optimize the recoveries. And some DBPs, like halocytic acids, require derivatization before they can be analyzed by GC mass spectrometry. Um, And finally, there's not a one-size-fits-all GC mass spec temperature program that can be used. Um, For example, halonitromethane DBPs have to be analyzed at a lower injection port temperature because they'll decompose at the typical hot injection port temperatures used. So as a result of all these complexities, it can be very difficult to develop new rugged analytical methods for a diverse group of DBPs. Thanks, and how are you using high-resolution accurate mass in your research? Well, we've been using high-resolution accurate mass approaches for a long time. This has been one of our most important tools for identifying new unknown DBPs in drinking water. 
And we've been using high-resolution mass spectrometry because the accurate mass gives you several decimal places on your mass. So instead of knowing that the mass of your unknown is, for example, 200, you know that it's 200.10245, for example, something like that. With these extra decimal places, you can generally determine your molecular formula, so you'll know the exact number of carbons, carbons, hydrogens, oxygens, nitrogens, iodines in your molecule. And, of course, we still need to determine how these atoms fit in a chemical structure, but knowing what the formula is for the molecule and the formula for the fragment ions can help tremendously in piecing together the structure for the unknown molecule. Thanks. And what are the latest developments in analytical technology around high-resolution accurate mass? So previously, we used to always use a magnetic sector mass spectrometer for the high-resolution accurate mass data, but we're currently using the new GC Orbi trap and also a high-resolution time-of-flight mass spectrometer, and both of these instruments give great high-resolution data with much less loss in sensitivity compared to the magnetic sector mass spectrometer. We're also using LC Orbi trap as well to identify new high molecular weight DBPs, primarily in that X-ray contrast media work that we're doing. And using these instruments, we were able to recently identify new iodinated DBPs that were not known before, and also new nitrogen-containing DBPs that were not known. Thank you for that overview, Susan. We appreciate you being here today. This has been Carrie Hollenberg with LCGC. Thanks to all for listening. You've been listening to the LCGC podcast, Emerging Disinfection Byproducts in Drinking Water. This podcast was brought to you by Thermo Fisher Scientific. Thermo Fisher Scientific is a world leader in serving science with revenues of $17 billion and approximately 50,000 employees in 50 countries. Their mission is to enable their customers to make the world healthier, cleaner, and safer. They help their customers accelerate life science research, solve complex analytical challenges, improve patient diagnostics, and increase laboratory productivity. Through their premier brands, Thermoscientific, Applied Biosystems, Invitrogen, Fisher Scientific, and Unity Lab Services, they offer an unmatched combination of innovative technologies, purchasing convenience, and comprehensive support. To find out more, please visit them on the web at www.thermoscientific.com.